From PRX, the Public Radio Exchange, and the studios of the Chicago Sunday Evening Club, I'm David Dalt with Things Not Seen. On today's show, we talk about the intersections of music, social justice, and ministry as we talk with Reverend Julian DeChazier. He's also known by his stage name, Jay Quest. As a rapper and an R&B artist, he has just released a new album called Lemonade. We'll be talking about all of that in the next hour. Stay tuned. This is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt, and we're speaking today with Julian DeChazier. Reverend Julian DeChazier is senior pastor of the University Church in Hyde Park, which is at the crux of Chicago's South Side and the rest of the city. He's a graduate of Morehouse College in Atlanta and the University of Chicago Divinity School. Some listeners will know him better by his stage name, the rapper Jay Quest. And he just recently released an album in 2015 called Lemonade. And we'll be talking about that and his ministry during our conversation today. Julian DeChazier, Jay Quest, welcome to Things Not Seen. Hey, hey, thanks for having me. Well, let me start out the conversation by saying a word of congratulations because as we're speaking today, we're recording this the day after there was a vote about introducing a trauma center to Chicago's South Side. And I wonder if we could start out kind of talking about that and what that means. Yeah, well, I, I guess it means that step one in a very long process is complete. Institutionally, a lot of uh, institutions that can put up a trauma center in a community decide not to because, you know, it's the healthcare industry is a business. It's a for-profit business. And so for members of the community, it was trying to make a different kind of appeal that wasn't about business sense, but about moral sense and what it means to be an institution of power inside of a community and to relate better to that community and not just manage that community, but to ask of the community, not just what's best for us, in this case, the University of Chicago, what's best for us on the South Side, but what's best for us, that might also be good for citizens and people who live on the south side of Chicago. And the moment you start doing that kind of listening to the community, you hear almost immediately, hey, we want the same access to trauma care. We want the same opportunity at life, whether it's education or anything else. But especially in particular to access to health care, we want those things. And so... Uh, the community have been yelling about this. They, I guess yelling, they started talking about it, right? But when you realize you're not being heard, you begin to yell. Well, Chicago has just topped uh, a thousand shootings right. for 2016, uh, and we're we're just out of the first quarter of the year. Having a trauma center doesn't mean that there's no longer going to be violence. It means that people have the same chance and opportunity at, at life. And that's what's important in this situation, that these young folks are not punished because of where they live, because of how they look, because of what they don't have, because of their lack of privilege, but that they have the same opportunity at life as somebody who lives on the north side, on the west side, 
And I, I call it step one because I think it's a part of a, a bigger process. And maybe it's step two. Maybe step one is just getting the university to see that it's even necessary, to, to change its understanding of its relationship to community and, and to see and to ask questions about mutual living and how we can live together in a healthier way. The final step and the thing that I'm really invested in and University Church is really invested in is us being in relationship between the university and the residents of the community that surround it because historically the University of Chicago has not needed to operate or have a self-understanding that includes the residents of the community. Well, let's talk a little bit about that community. So you and I right now, we're sitting in the library at University Church, which is your church here in Hyde Park. But I wonder if you could talk a little bit about what the neighborhood of Hyde Park is, particularly in relationship to this notion of the south side of Chicago. Hyde Park is a, a little bit of an island or a bubble separated from the rest of the south side, which is very can be very insular, very segregated, uh, middle class and poor. It's where I grew up, you know, and and you would come past Hyde Park and it would feel different. It would be like, wow, this is a different kind of vibe here. They're white people. They're, they go white people right there, you know, and they're not, they don't hate you, right? At least they, they're not vocally saying, get out of here, right? Like you're welcome in this space to be around here. It's kind of an artistic vibe in Hyde Park, right? So it's one of those kinds of spaces that can really expose people to a lot of culture and a lot of new ways of seeing the world. But it does not represent what the rest of the South Side is. And it's sometimes if you grow up in Hyde Park, and I've seen this, whether members of the church who say, like, I grew up in Hyde Park and, like, I never saw South Shore. If you don't know the difference between South Shore and Hyde Park, they're five blocks away. So how is that even possible? But it is very possible in a city like Chicago. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt, and we're speaking today with Reverend Julian DeChazier. He's senior pastor at University Church in Hyde Park, which is a neighborhood on the south side of Chicago. But he's also known as, by his stage name, as the rapper Jay Quest, and we'll be talking more about both his ministry and his music as the hour continues. Well, I, I want to ask about that, because where we're sitting right now, if we go just randomly, let's, let's, I'm pointing now north. If we go four blocks north, what what are sort of the the price ranges of the houses four blocks north of us? I have no idea. I've I, never, but I would assume a million dollars or more. Yeah, I've I've never looked because I can't afford it, David. Like, but now, now but if you go, I'm going to point in the south, other direction. Four blocks south. Yeah, four blocks south uh, is going to be. You know, you're going to find foreclosed houses. You're going to find abandoned homes. I mean, the disparity is great, and there's always been a disparity between the University of Chicago and the rest of the South Side. And so what we're trying to do, whether it's in terms of the trauma center or anything, just as a church, we're trying to be a mediator to help this institution of power understand itself as belonging to community, not just inside of a community defined demographically and however they want to do that, but that their definition of themselves and their own health as an institution is also defined by the health of those who live around them, even if they aren't students. This tension that you're talking about that Hyde Park sort of exists in, that that begins to, to bring us into 
the way that you as an artist are beginning to talk about uh, your experience in this new album, Lemonade. And let's just start with the title, Lemonade. So um, explain a little bit about how the tension in that title is playing out in terms of what you're trying to do in terms of your artistic voice here on the album. The thing that's probably central to being J Quest and all the music that I make, the thread in all of it is love who you are, strive to be better. The title Lemonade is forcing us to try to make sense out of the pain of life. It's forcing us to process that pain. It's forcing us to take these lemons and not just say, oh, well, these lemons, this is not a part of life. Life is over here with the flowers and the birds, you know, but saying, no, the, the pain is a part of who we are and we have to do something with that. We we have to make lemonade, you know, it's a part of that old cliche when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. But I think it's a part of how I just see the world It's probably the phrase that best under, best defines my self understanding is, is love who you are, strive to be better. Uh, so I make R and B music, you know, and try to make music that helps us to be sober about our reality and not naive about it in the ways in which faith can sometimes make us like not even see stuff wrong if it's overread. But to say, no, I, I know what's going on. I know what's wrong with me. I, and I'm embracing it and I'm working on it every day. But you know what? This is not a reason for me to hate myself. This is not a reason for me to hate the world that's around me. I can take place in being a part of the change that's happening in the community around me. I can be a part of changing the world that I dislike so much or that has done me so wrong. This is the world we live in, and we have to do something with it. So I, I heard a lot kind of going on in, in what, you were, what you were saying with this, this album title, and it really plays in for me about kind of what I hear in the dynamics of, of the songs. There's a tension here in your lyrics and in just the whole way that you're approaching this. I, I hear a lot of hope in this album. I also hear a lot of calling out of hypocrisy in this album. And it's both hypocrisy that you see out there, but also sometimes hypocrisy that you see, it seems at times, in your own self. Am, I, right. am I hearing that right in what you're, what you're no, doing? No, I mean, there's a tension in life, David. I mean, like, there's a tension in everything that we do. Of, we don't live in a world of black and white. And I grew up in a faith that as it evolved, I, came more and, I became more and more dissatisfied with the notion that it was either right or wrong. Because we are not right or wrong. There's, there's so much informing our decision making and the ways in which we do reasoning and even think through every single moment of life. There's tension. And to not call that out, I think is irresponsible. For me as a pastor, as as a man, as an artist, we have to wrestle with that. We have to wrestle with the fact that sometimes we do good things for the wrong reason. And sometimes we uh, make mistakes for the right reason, you know, with good intentions and good hearts. And how that is more a part of life than some of the black and white kind of moments that we just know are wrong that most of our lives are lived in this ambiguity and this vulnerability that we really have to wrestle with. Now, would you characterize your voice throughout this album as as a, a, a sort of a character-driven voice? Are you inhabiting persona that you've you've seen in your life, or is this 
kind of autobiography? Are you talking about your own lived experience? No, I'm, I'm telling my life. I mean, I have a song 15 years ago, and that song is about my life 15 years ago. It's about uh, me and my younger brother and us living with a single mother and what it's like to to do that and what it's like to live with your mom and for her to tell you don't be mad at your dad because he's not around you know what i'm saying like you'll understand one day when you get in a relationship like me i'm telling this story because it actually happened and these are the lessons that help me make lemonade i mean i guess it, if anything it takes on the persona of big brother like i just not in the governmental spy sense but in the like the kids sitting on the stoop and just saying, like, man, let, let me tell you about life real quick. You know what I'm saying? Let me tell you about my life. And I'm not going to preach at you and tell you how you have to do it. I'm going to tell you how I did it and how I'm not doing it. It's it's just me trying to be honest and share something with the young kids in Chicago. And for fans of hip-hop, Lemonade takes on a whole nother meaning because it's just refreshing hip-hop. It's refreshing to have that kind of honesty inside of music versus the kind of market-driven, like, I'm going to do whatever the number one song is on the radio. I'm going to replicate that in a way that's really not authentic. But for me, I'm trying to provide something that's really authentic about where I am, where I see the South Side that I love so much, and I'm watching it. My community, we're tearing ourselves apart, you know? So I'm just wrestling with all of that right now, to be honest. I, I don't know if I have any answers. I'm just trying to use art as a way to process what's going on right now. This is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt, and we're speaking today with Reverend Julian DeChazier. He's also known by his stage name, J-Quest, and we're talking about his his work as a minister in Hyde Park at University Church on Chicago's South Side. We're also talking about his new album that came out in 2015, Lemonade. Stay tuned. We'll be back in a moment. This is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with Reverend Julian DeChazier. He's also known by his stage name, Jay Quest. He's got a new album out called Lemonade that came out in 2015. We're talking about his music and his ministry at University Church on Chicago's South Side. A moment ago, you were talking about the song that you have on Lemonade 15 years ago. I, I want to ask you about another song a couple of tracks later called Whatever Happened. 
that was a song that grabbed me when I first heard it because yours is not the only voice in the song, but you're counterpoised against Reverend Jeremiah Wright, Mm -hmm. who some listeners might recall was the controversial pastor of Trinity UCC Church here in Chicago where President Obama used to attend. So my first question is, did you get uh, Reverend Wright into the studio, or was this actually a a sermon that he preached that you're sort of counterpoising? No, he came into the studio. He wrote this just... The biggest thing that I wanted that song to be was a representation of the real generational gap that exists right now, whether it's in activism or just in the ways in which we see the world. We always talk about it, but I wanted to bring it alive and to make that tension active. And so I wanted him to be a representative of the old guard. And I wanted to respond to the things that he was saying, not as if they were wrong, but as if I can't even I can't even hear that right now. Like, do you see what I'm living right now? Do you understand my life right now? And what I hear in that song is, you know, your voice is speaking about a very personalized experience. And then Reverend Wright is bringing almost a, a communal corrective. And at one point he even uses the term Ubuntu. That's right. The, the notion that we all are in this together. And those verses are about really how we process life as a young person. And really the ways in which we process and think about life are really kind of selfish. Our self-understanding becomes very insular and separated from the rest of the world as well. It's like, who am I is the most important question that you can ask at 16 years old, right? That's the, the thing that I think Jeremiah Wright and other folks bring into the conversation is there's another part of your self-understanding and that's being part of community. So it's not just, I mean, Jay, I'm glad you're okay, right? Like, I'm, I'm glad you're not angry. I'm glad that you're able to make sense of the pain that's happened in your life. You've made lemonade, right? But there's a community tension going on. There's a community problem and you are part of that community as well. I think that's something that our generation needs to hear. Even if all of that is going okay with you, there's a community where things are happening right now and that we're a part of that, and it's not okay out there. At the same time, an older generation needs to hear that the world has changed so much because of because of all of this kind of media and the flattening of the world that, that a lot of people, you know, that you all didn't live in a flat world, right? We live in a world, I can talk to my friend in India right now, you know, but that brings a lot of problems and concerns with it. That brings a new kind of anxiety into my life that we, we're not hearing the older preachers and the older guards speak to that new anxiety of this changing world in 2016. And so there's a disconnect that's forming. I knew that for me, he and I to, to try to write a song together could be a profound kind of moment. Instead of artists or the church being a harbinger for this old 1950s racism, right? Where like, we're not going to talk about it. We're just going to talk about how you're going to be okay, right? No, let's, let's, t- let's actually talk about What's going on right now? He's always been able to do that, whether in his ministry at Trinity or elsewhere. And it's something that I think, as I look now as a pastor for five years, as as having just released my first solo album, you know, that's something that I want to be courageous enough to always do as well. Well, when I was listening to the song, one of the reasons why I didn't, I couldn't tell whether it was an old sermon of his or whether something that he had brought into the studio because the man's got a flow. That's right. He's preaching, 
has has a, a sensibility to it that that has an access to that kind of hip hop rhetoric, and that led me to think about a question that I wanted to ask you, and that is, when you're in the pulpit or when you're an MC at the microphone, how do you think about those two contexts? Do they overlap? Are they very different in terms of how you use language? Sort of, how are you approaching language in these moments? If you're a musician, music is always in you. So I'm always thinking in cadences and flows and even how I'm responding to this question right now, right? Has that kind of thing in there. And it's just built in and people just point it out. Like when you're a musician and a songwriter, that's just how I I see the world in beats, you know? as a part of a whole and so and and jeremiah wright knows music you know and can play the piano and and knows music theory well and so that kind of stuff is going to come out naturally when you ask like all right well are do these overlap like i don't know how to answer that question right like you tell me if they overlap i I guess the thing i want to say is I'm a musician. Music is in me. It will inform everything I do. It will inform the way that I see the world. It will probably inform my ethos in, ter- in different decision-making processes for better and for worse. But I'm a musician. That's what I am. And I'm a pastor. And I don't see those as separate. It's, it's like saying I'm black and I'm a nerd, right? Like they're not, you're not one and then the other, right? Like you're, that's just what you are. And sometimes those, it will be, the connection between the two will be obvious. And for me, I think the, the music connection is more obvious, obviously, because I'm doing public speaking and other kinds of modes of, of presentation. So it's not like I'm a rapper and an accountant, you know? Uh, but, but I don't see them as separate, you know? I, I see it as a part of my integrated self. That's probably how I see the entire world, though. Like my pain, my mistakes, this is part of me. That's just who I am. And sometimes I'm going to disappoint you. And sometimes I'm going to really thrill you, you know. And sometimes it's going to be amazing for me to do it. And sometimes it's not. It's going to be exhausting to do it. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. And we're speaking today with Julian DeChazier, who's also known by his stage name, Jay Quest. We're talking about his ministry in Hyde Park in the south side of Chicago and his new album, Lemonade, that came out in 2015. So these tensions that you're talking about where the good and the bad are mixed in together, when I think about the genres that you're trying to pull together here, so you mentioned several times in the conversation you consider yourself to be an R&B artist. The market is is having a difficult time trying to classify the music that you do because it's a little bit gospel, right. it's a little bit rap, and you're a little bit too much hip-hop for the gospel crowd. You're a little bit too much gospel for the hip-hop crowd. You and I have talked about this off, off microphone before. The, the way that I access those questions is through a rapper called DMX. And so on the same album, he can have a track that is a, a cry to God, Lord, give me a sign. And on that same album, he's got a track like Bring Your Whole Crew, which is kind of buckets of blood, very violent. That's right. That's yeah. <laughs> now, you don't have that kind of extremity on this album. You've got, you've got some of that tension going on, but they're not the, not the overt violence that DMX has. But I wonder kind of how you have found navigating those imposed uh, ca- categories. So what the market says that you're doing versus what you think you're doing as sort of an R&B performer. 
Yeah, I mean, it can be difficult, whether it's the music or pastoring or anything else that I'm trying to do. The best advice ever been given came from my mother. Just be yourself and do your best. And whatever happens is enough. Your best effort is enough. And so for me as a rapper, I'm going to try really hard to let the hip-hop heads know that this is a hip-hop album, right? Like, beats, flow, all of that, right? This is going to be right in that lane of your favorite artists that you know and love, whether it's Kanye, Tribe Called Quest, Quali, Common, you know. Like, I grew up on that, and this album is an offspring of that. I heard a little De La Soul in this as oh, well. Oh, for sure. No, you're going to hear that. Uh, and the next one that I'm making has even more. I'm, I'm, I'm really enjoying their Three Feet High and Rising album, going back and enjoying that again. But, like, for me to try to force them to accept and love me is too exhausting. I just got too much to do. And I'm busy trying to create a soundscape for the way that I see the world and to share it with people. And that takes enough energy. I'll find a publicist or somebody to go and convince them that this is worthy to listen to and belongs in whatever kind of packaging or genre. The things that make my head the most, to be honest, are when I sit in meetings now with my team and talk about brand and stuff. Like, I don't know. I don't care. This is my album, all right? This is my life. This is who I am. I'll share as much of it as seems relevant. You know, I'm not here to tell all my business, but I'm here to try to make art. And what we do with that art and how it gets categorized and which shelf section you go to find it in, whether it's Christian or contemporary or hip-hop or rap, because there's a difference between hip-hop and rap. Like, all of that stuff is just, it's kind of nonsense to me. And I just want to be able to make music that represents where I am, because that's the music that I grew up loving. That was the Stevie Wonder and Donny Hathaway, where, like, you didn't really know if they were gospel artists or not. But Stevie could sing Heaven is Ten Zillion Light Years Away and on the same album sing They Won't Go When I Go. So this kind of despair and and just faithful joy and awe of the world can all exist in the same space. I think that's what the human experience is. I think that's what music is missing in a lot of ways. But I'm not here to change music. I'm not here to get church folks who don't like hip-hop to like hip-hop. If you don't like it, go listen to somebody else, right? Like, But there are going to be some folks who are going to hear this. And just like I fell in love with Stevie and Donnie and some of these other artists that really changed my life and opened me up into myself, opened up a new portal into myself, I think that, that my art can help do that same thing. One of the things I'm hearing clearly in what you're saying is a, a, a call for authenticity. And, Always. And, and I heard that really, really strongly in, in a track later in the second half of the album called Live Strong. Oh, yeah. And so much, I went back and listened to that over and over again because there was so much going on for me in that track. And for listeners who haven't been awake for the last decade and a half, Live Strong is a reference partly to Lance Armstrong yeah. and, the, and the, the foundation that he founded. And the whole brand and mythology that was built right. up around that, which is he's, he's just – he's a more pure guy and therefore he can win the races. That's right. But then at the end of the day, what was the problem? He was, he was doping himself. He was yeah, – Yeah, no. He, it wasn't him. Yeah. And you, you've got this line in there, PM Demons talking to the good you. Uh, in, in that, that tension there. 
So all that was there for me. But then there's another piece of that, which is I'm a white man, so I don't understand in some ways uh, African-American experience. But I've talked to enough uh, people who've lived that experience to know that living strong and and being your best self can be the difference between you living and dying some days. Oh, for sure. And and so there was a lot going on just in the title for me of that, <laughs> if that makes sense. But I, I just unpack – if you could start to kind of unpack for me what's going on for you in that song. Yeah, it's – it's trying to be a good person and trying to live a good life and trying to make the best decisions that I can make for myself, for my family. But at the same time, and at the same time, uh, your phone keeps going off. And, you know, and it's like, oh, this, there's real trouble here. I can get in some real trouble if I wanted to. And it's recognizing the ways in which... Um, there's tons of repression in our lives that gets out in some really unhealthy ways, whether it's through pornography, whether it's through actually just kind of cheating, whatever, you know, like, but, but that comes out of this apostolic guilt that we feel and it, and it comes out of a ton of repression that the song is sort of telling stories about how it spills over in ways that we don't always intend by kind of hanging out one night and then the next thing you know you you miss Krabappel you woke up next to Seymour you know like a Simpsons reference just kind of how you wake up next to somebody and you're like how did this even happen I hear that so much from the community where I live and play you know that it's like wait you weren't in control of yourself like what, what do you mean how did it happen you made the phone call you had a couple more drinks, you aggressively pursued it, you you won, right? Quote fingers in the air right now. <laughs> like, you won. You got what you wanted. And here it is. And now you're saying you don't want it. And it just shows that way in which we always, that we give in to certain uh, impulses. And we call that being human. Like, oh, well, sometimes you're just going to fail, you know? And I think what is more fair to say is that, no, we give up. Because we just want to be weak. Because we want to know what it feels like to be weak. Because we spend so much time being strong. And in the black community, being strong out of survival. Being strong because we have to put on a face of being better than. So that we can even enter into the rooms of the downtown skyscrapers. Right? Like we, we can't have the same vulnerability. And so we repress and it spills over. And that can be really unhealthy for any kind of community, but especially communities like the black community on the south side and places where people are marginalized. Like, can you still be yourself in the midst of all of that? That's what that's what Live Strong is about. It's just kind of saying, like, in the black community, there's, at least in the hip-hop black community, right, the, the, the part that I can claim, like, you're good, and then I'm going to go take a break and go to Vegas, right? And this is going to be like totally ungood and it's going to be understood but then I'm going to go back home and I'm going to leave all that in Vegas or in Live Strong I talk about All-Star Weekend you know like going to All-Star Weekend is like oh yes it's on now I'm going to go do everything I want to do everything I can't do in real life and then I'm going to come back and be a part of life no this is real life 
Vegas is real life. All-Star Weekend is real life. And the decisions that we make are part of our real life. So it's just me trying to talk about an authentic and integrated self that isn't trying to sort of separate our lives and the ways in which get pastors in trouble because they got another family over here or whatever. Like, I'm seeing that a lot. And so it just encouraged me to say, you know what? We need we need a song uh, or I want to write a song that just says, what are y'all doing? Like, what are we pretending for? Let's just just try your best. Well, and at several points in the album, I hear a, kind of what we might call a, a Saturday night, Sunday morning tension. Oh, for sure. For <laughs> sure. So you, you, you're bad on Saturday night, and yet you're still in church on Sunday. Yeah. And, and, and so that's what I'm hearing you saying is that that's both a tension that you're living. You know, your phone is, is, is going off at you. But it's also a tension that you're seeing in your community. But there are some very understandable reasons why that tension is there. Am I hearing that right? Oh, for sure. Yeah. For sure. I, th- I mean, it's... I think a lot of that tension, I talk about apostolic guilt a lot, which if folks aren't familiar, it's just the sense that you don't really feel guilty because you think you did anything wrong. You feel guilty because you believe in God and God has said it's wrong, right? So even though you don't fully, you can't fully grab on to the nature of the mistake or whatever, like it's wrong because I... I've been told my entire life that it's wrong and that I'm a bad person if I do this, whether that's around sex or or anything else. You know, that there becomes a lot of guilt that causes repression, that causes us to see our lives in terms of Saturday night and Sunday morning, as if, like, the world stops at midnight, right? Like, no, Saturday flows into Sunday. Saturday is part of Sunday. It's, if we had a different calendar, they would be the same day. Right? Like, you know, this is all the same thing. This is all the same life. And to try to bring our faithfulness into Saturday or to be courageous enough to bring our mistakes into Sunday is is really what I'm trying to say here. That's really it. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with Reverend Julian DeChazier. He's also known by his stage name, J-Quest. He's a pastor on the south side of Chicago at University Church in Hyde Park, and he has just released a new album in 2015 called Lemonade. If you'd like to find out more about Reverend DeChazier and his work, you can do so at our website, thingsnotseenradio.com. We'll be back in a moment. This is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. Each week on our program, we bring you a rich conversation about culture and faith. 
We're speaking today with Reverend Julian DeChazier. He's senior pastor at University Church on Chicago's south side in Hyde Park. He's also known by the stage name Jay Quest. He's a rapper and an R&B artist, and he has just released an album in 2015 called Lemonade. We've been talking a lot about your musical career, but now let's flip that over and talk about your role as a pastor and your work here at University Church. In the same way that you have been trying to bring your life's authenticity into your musical expression, I, from knowing you these years, have also observed that you have been trying to bring the gospel to life for your congregation in some very real ways. And let's start out by sort of talking about some of the ministries that you have brought to University Church that may not at first look like traditional, you know, church ministries. For me, just my understanding of church, I guess my my ecclesiology of what I believe church should be, in a social sense, I believe, is the place where the most important conversations in the community are happening and that the church is a part of those conversations, that that is one element and dynamic of what it means to be church. And then there's another sense at which social and spiritual transformation are the goals for me at a personal and at a communal level. And so it's hard for me to say that I have brought a ministry. I have tried to help the church understand itself as a place that listens to community and responds to community or a place that cares about transformation so where we see brokenness, we cannot ignore it. And so whether it was advocating for the trauma center and then moving from being a part of the organizing group to being a part of a mediating group to help a more important conversation happen between the university's medical officials and the organizers who weren't talking to each other at all. That's not like a ministry. That just evolves out of an ethos that we have to commit to, that we're going to be a part of the most important conversations and how can we bring transformation where we see brokenness. Or when it comes to welcoming Jose Juan Moreno into Sanctuary, who lives here right now in Sanctuary and is fighting for his family, We're noticing the brokenness of not only immigration policy itself, but the brokenness of the enforcement of the of the policy, which is raiding homes and tearing families apart. And people are never seeing their parents again. And and this man has five kids and a wife and is fighting to stay with them. And he's made a mistake. He had a DUI in, in 2009. And so people have said, including in the Latino community, they've said, well, he's made a mistake. He has to go home. And for us to look at that as a church and say, is, there seems to be something wrong about that. Cause it operates on the basic assumption that if Jose Juan or any undocumented immigrant is not superhuman, in their behaviors and actions that now the government has the right to treat them as less than human. That's the the operating assumption in he made a mistake, now he has to go home. None of us have to go to our country of origin when we make a mistake, right? We got to go through the criminal justice process. We go through it. We return back to our normal lives, hopefully better. And undocumented immigrants don't even have an opportunity to go through that basic fair or unfair process, but a humanizing process. It's a very inhumane process. And so for us as a church to see him fighting for his family and to see so many other people, including in his own community, saying, 
you should have been more careful. Of course, duh, right? <laughs> like, of course you should have been more careful. What we're advocating for is for people to be given grace and not be defined by their mistakes. We believe that the Christian faith calls us to not define people by their mistakes. We see Jesus do it always, right? And we see uh, the people of Israel even, you know, in their response and dialogue with the prophets, trying not to be defined by their mistakes and trying to move beyond them and to receive healing and wholeness again. We know God gives it, and we want this nation to give it to people as well. And so, and so for us, it's that ministry emerges out of that collective consciousness around forgiveness that we want all people to experience. I don't want people to just be able to live here. I don't want undocumented immigrants to just receive documentation. That's just one part of it. This is about our relationship to folks who aren't from here and how we transform those relationships and actually humanize people and treat them as we would treat our own selves instead of saying, okay, you can come and stay here, but you, you got to do everything I say. And that's not, that's not humanizing. That's how we treat our animals. A dog can pee on the carpet and be allowed back in the house, right? But we don't want to do that for our undocumented brothers and sisters. That just, something seems very wrong about that. Well, what you're saying, a few minutes ago, we were talking about this Saturday night, Sunday morning tension mm -hmm. where in the, the community, there's a sense that you almost have to be superhuman in order to survive. Right. And now we've got an example of yet another person who literally is part of our community, Senor Moreno, who is being expected to be superhuman in order to survive because he made a mistake that a lot of people make, but the consequences for him are much greater. That's right. Now, there's another piece of this, and I've been following this from a distance. A lot of pressure and backlash that I have seen against the, the sanctuary stance that you've taken here at University Church basically is saying the ICE officers should come through your door and take this man physically out of your church and remove him back to his country of origin. Just in terms of the traditional respect for the concept of sanctuary, or even, as has been talked about lately in the press, the notion of religious freedom, you know, I wonder what your, what your thoughts are about the, the way that certain Americans think about the other that is with us right now. It's scary to me. How do you see it? Um, I share the same anxiety around it because to say that, to be so callous about this man and his family and then to be able to go in church and sing Blessed Assurance the next week, that's, like, I don't even know. I don't, why do I have to live in a world like that? Like, I'd rather go somewhere else where at least we have the basic common sense to avoid the most the most fundamental hypocrisies that it seems like critics of sanctuary are unable to avoid and i think it's because we begin to see ourselves and the world as through the lens of the answer to the question am i okay am i okay and if i'm okay then whatever's happening to you jose juan you know you you just need to do better the basic inability for us to see ourselves in an empathic way, to just put ourselves in his shoes and say, 
If somebody was telling me that I made a mistake and so now I need to leave my five children and my wife forever, right? Or presumably, you know, and and that that's just how this works. We would object to that. We really would object to our family being torn apart, and yet we lack the empathy to be able to see it for other people. That's, I hate to say anything scares me, but that does, it worries me that I need to pastor and talk about faith in a world where people's own interpretation of their faith tells them that this is okay. The the voicemails that I receive that say, why are you harboring felons? Don't you know you're a felon yourself? This kind of, if you're to be with him in any kind of way, is to be a criminal like him. Instead of saying, I mean, I agree that we're with him, but not in being felons. I believe that I'm with him in being human with him and being able to make mistakes, able to go through the process of reformation, able to live your life and be defined by more than your mistakes. Yeah, I'm with him. You know, like I, my whole, I just wrote an album about this, right? I am very with Jose Juan and I feel like all people should be with him as well. It puzzles me that people look at Sanctuary and, or look at Jose Juan's case in particular and say, I should come in and take him away. No, what I should do is sit down around their table and look at his case as a case of a human. And not a number and say, oh, he committed X offense and so we're not going to talk about this anymore. But to look at his case, to look at his hardship, to look at his family and ask the basic question. Is it the government's responsibility to send him away now? Can't say home. His home is here. His home is in Bolingbrook. That's where he's from, right? That's home. Well, one thing that that strikes me about the voicemail that you just said that you got, you know, do you know that you're associating with a felon? I mean, you could almost respond to that. Have you read the Gospels? I mean, you do realize that Jesus was a felon. It's not even, like, it's unreal. It's, I want to say it's insane, but it's not. This is completely how things have operated for hundreds of years. This is not insane. This is completely rational. And there's a problem with the rationale. There's a problem with the system and the exegesis and the way that we're doing theology as it is if it allows us to ignore the case of Jose Juan or ignore the absence of a trauma center or ignore social services for young bodies uh, on the South Side and to just say, well, you know, we don't need that stuff. Like, how, how are you even talking about Jesus? What part of the gospel are you even reading? How is this, how is this uh, working itself out in, in the sort of the life of your church right now here at University Church? Is this causing tensions or is the congregation sort of unified around this action and they have a clear sort of mandate for how to proceed? Yeah, well, a lot of how I understand my leadership is not to unify them around a particular action. Sometimes that helps in a temporary kind of way, but actions go away. Jose Juan is not going to live here forever. I want them to be unified around these principles of their faith that can transfer to any action. And so for the past few years, I've been working on just uniting them around the idea that when we see brokenness, We must respond. We're not going to dive in and be at the front lines on every issue. Some issues are going to speak closer 
to our core values than others. But we're not going to be silent. We're not going to talk about even as much as, you know, last Sunday. We're not going to say Happy Mother's Day and be content to stop at Happy Mother's Day in a world full of sexism. We're not going to put a banner on our wall that says equal opportunity and equal access for all God's children and stop while there's no trauma center on the south side and there's not equal access and equal opportunity for all God's children. We're not going to do that. And we're not going to put a Black Lives Matter uh, banner or a rainbow banner or anything and then look at the issues that keep people isolated and separated and then just make commitments about them. Sign the, what Emily Towns says, sign these contracts about them that say, no, we are against this. Well, congratulations, right? But you being against it doesn't change it. There, there are ways in which we can act on behalf of those who are affected the most. So in, in the midst of this, all the things that we've talked about. So we started out talking about the trauma center. We've talked about your very autobiographical and confessional work as a rapper and R&B artist. We've talked about the, the very clear ways in which as a pastor and as the, the shepherd of a congregation, you're standing in the midst of, of some embodied solidarity. This has got to get you down, man. What, what keeps you hopeful? What gives you hope? I think, I mean, these actions keep me hopeful because I'm watching communities take leadership and say, we believe that our faith calls us to more. We believe that we have to put some skin in the game that goes beyond our theology, and we want to make our theology real and active in the world. That, I mean, just seeing the church active, and even as we're working through challenges of logistics and all of that, I am energized by that. I'm not drained at all, you know, by anything that I'm seeing. I am energized by it and want to do more of it because this is the church that the world needs to see. This is the church that my generation grew up and didn't see. And so they said, you know what? I don't need the church because the church is talking about whatever they're talking about. But they're not talking about my reality they're not standing with me. They're not advocating for me. And they're not listening to me. We're trying to do something different. And I think it's something that Jesus would do. I think it's something that Jesus did. And we see it in the Gospels. And, and hopefully uh, we are pushing the needle towards justice and towards not only loving God with all our heart, mind, and strength, but loving our neighbor as ourself. That's all we're trying to do. And these actions hopefully are shining a light on how we can do that better and others listening can do that better. Well, now, as we as we look ahead to what's to come, both as a minister and as an artist, sort of what are the next steps for you? Are you you, you mentioned that you're sort of thinking about a new project musically. Yeah. What is that going to be like and what is what are the next things that are going to be happening with your ministry here? Yeah, I'm, I think in both the answer is the same. I'm trying to do good make some good music and do some good ministry right like and and not overthink it too much but kind of keep these core principles in mind and then as long as I'm obeying them let's be creative and imaginative I mean for me imagination is the thing that rescues us from despair the the capacity to imagine 
and to have hope in the midst of our situations. That's what Lemonade was about. That's what J-Quest is about. That's what R&B is about. That's the, so, like, the next album is going to be another way of thinking about that, right? Like, whatever it's called is going to be in that same vein as all that other music. The next ministry that we do is going to be in light of the great commandment. It's going to be in light of looking at wherever brokenness is and saying, all right, well, what is our call to this? You know, we're, we're called to care about it, but what might our action be? Are we going to be in solidarity with somebody or are we going to have to take leadership like on our own, like with sanctuary? So uh, I don't know. I just know that we'll keep those things in mind as I'm in the studio recording, as I'm on stages, you know, across the nation or wherever I am. And as we're here on every Sunday morning and every day, that, that we're going to try to do the good work. Well, Jay Quest, Reverend Julian DeChazier, I'm inspired by your ministry, and I love your music. I appreciate so much you taking a few minutes to talk to us today. Thank you. Well, thank you. We've been speaking today with Reverend Julian DeChazier. He's the senior pastor at University Church in Hyde Park. Reverend DeChazier is also known by his stage name, Jay Quest, and he's released a new album in 2015 called Lemonade. You can find out more about his work, about his music, and about our radio program at our website, thingsnotseenradio.com. Things Not Seen is produced by Sandberg Media, LLC, with the support of the Chicago Sunday Evening Club. We're distributed nationally by PRX, the public radio exchange. Today's show was recorded on location at University Church in Hyde Park, Chicago, Illinois. Additional production took place at the studios of the Chicago Sunday Evening Club here in the Chicago Loop. Our theme music is composed by Gene Keeja. David Dalt engineered the show. Kim Tron and David Dalt did the editing. Our staff includes Travis Abels, David J. Dunn, Natasha Alford, and Alexander Badenock. Katie Scroggin is our senior producer. You can follow us on Twitter at Not Seen Radio. Visit us on Facebook and like our page to receive regular updates about the show and find out more about upcoming guests. That's Facebook.com slash Things Not Seen Radio. And you can sign up for the free podcast, listen to old shows, send us an email, and learn more about our guests if you visit us on the web at thingsnotseenradio.com. I'm David Dalt, and we'll be back next week with more conversations about culture and faith. Please join us.